What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, and I am the host of the What to Know podcast show. And I have the pleasure today of turning the show over to my uh, colleague and our global president, Jennifer Gottlieb, and this is particularly fun because Jen has actually been on the receiving end as a guest a few times. Um, As I mentioned, she's the global president of W2O and also uh, recently became a board member of the Muscular Dystrophy Association, and that will be relevant to today's conversation. Uh, I will wrap us up at the end, but with that, uh, Jen, I'm going to let you take it from here. Thank you, Aaron. I'm here today to talk about the work of the Muscular Dystrophy Association, also known as the MDA. As Aaron mentioned, I recently joined its board of directors because I feel deeply connected to its mission, transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. I'm honored to introduce Lynn O'Connor-Voss, President and Chief Executive Officer of the MDA. I've known Lynn more than 20 years. Before joining MDA in 2017, Lynn was Global Chief Executive Officer of Gray Health Group, a leading healthcare communications agency and part of the Global WPP Group. Lynn began her career in pediatric nursing and went on to build successful health companies by applying trailblazing technology to new programs and efficiencies in patient care. Lynn is a thought leader in the industry with published white papers and articles outlining new successful approaches to healthcare technology and communications. I'm proud and honored to know Lynn, and I'm thrilled that we have her on our show today. Thank you so much, Jen. It's absolutely an honor to be here as well, and, and we are so grateful for you to, be, uh, to have accepted to become one of our board members. It's um, just going to be such a thrill to work with you as we pivot through this pandemic and turn MDA into the powerhouse that it's, uh, it's always been. Thank you, Lynn. I'm so excited to be part of the board as well. And yes, the understatement of of the year this year is the great pivot, uh, the pivot during the pandemic, of which we'll talk a lot about today. Starting with our first question, one of the experiences we share is that we've both dedicated ourselves to making the world a healthier place. Growing up, I just knew I wanted to be in medicine and science. And when I ended up in the communications program at Syracuse University, I discovered my calling at the intersection of health and communication. Lynn, we would love to talk about what spurred your interest in health. Sure. Uh, You know, I think like you, I always had kind of that interest in giving back or that giving gene that somehow came along the way. I'm not sure where, but uh, I started out my career wanting to be in medicine like you, um, pivoted back at the time because it was in the late 70s when everyone needed a job right after college and I became a nurse. Um, And I, I had just one of the most incredible experiences in nursing. I was at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia uh, when they had just amazing programs like the Child Guidance Center, and I got very turned on uh, to the innovative models for patient education and helping families and individuals with anorexia. So that was an incredible experience, and it kind of stimulated my interest in seeing more broadly, quite frankly, than just nursing. And I quickly went to J&J, believe it or not, I don't know how much time we have, but it's kind of a funny story for those of the people who are listening out there. Um, 
you know, I, I was a nurse and I was a Sagittarian and I saw an ad that was looking for nurses who wanted to travel. So, you know, being in my twenties, I said, Hey, that's gotta be my, got my name on it. And that was kind of my entry into the pharmaceutical industry through Janssen when it was just a research company. And we did again, some just breakthrough work there. Um, and then went on to you know, kind of breaking the mold in clinical research at the time because Janssen was really a leader in that. Um, and I went to Novo where I became the post-marketing research manager. And that was really an opportunity to really exercise entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit like never before. We were the underdog. We were out there trying to attack Lily's uh, insulin. And what we did is we created up a, a very unique model where we gave the insulin away to thought leaders and had them do very unique studies. And that was really the first introduction to what we, what I kind of coined the phrase uh, back then of market conditioning. And so, you know, fast forward, there were a lot of steps along the way, but I ran an agency for a long time. And in the agency business, as you know, Jen, every day is a day to reinvent yourself and find a new idea. Um, it's an incredibly riveting career path. And at that time, um, you know, after many, many years, I thought, you know, I've done a lot of public health work. I've done a lot of board work. Maybe it's time to actually apply all that skill to one brand and, and one big nonprofit. And MBA mm -hmm. came my way, and it sounded very exciting. I love that story. I actually learned new things about you today um, <laughs> and that you are the queen of coining the uh, term market conditioning, <laughs> uh, of which you and I have done most uh, most amazing work at in our careers. Um, so that's a really proud moment, proud moment to talk about. We both have worked in a lot of different disease areas throughout our careers on the business side, on the agency side. Um, why was the mission of the MDA important to you? And can you share broadly with us an overview of the organization in case our listeners aren't familiar? Sure. So I was attracted to the Muscular Dystrophy Association um, for, for a couple of big reasons. And that was, you know, both of us have spent our career in pharma. Um, we've developed a lot of markets and we've worked in a lot of areas where there have been multiple disease, multiple drugs for diseases. And I looked at the Muscular Dystrophy Association and I realized that this was almost like virgin territory. There are really only six drugs on the market, maybe eight, uh, to treat, we treat 43 different diseases. And even calling it 43 different diseases is not accurate anymore because as you know, all of these are genetic, or 80% are genetic, and all the mutations could in fact uh, inspire another therapeutic treatment. So. I saw that opportunity. Um, I also um, had never worked or never seen a nonprofit like Muscular Dystrophy Association that actually was delivering care. And we have clinics at 150 care centers. We treat up to 60,000 patients. And so, and then in addition to that, we are the largest funder under, under the NIH in terms of funding research. And so when I looked at, oh my God, like how could I apply all these, as I say, every tool I have in the toolbox, you have the ability to go back to really be in touch with clinical medicine, which I've always wanted to do, the ability to interact with great thought leaders, um, the ability to uh, work on some absolutely groundbreaking research, because this is where gene therapy is being applied every day. And then the lucky strike extra is Muscular Dystrophy Association it was a consumer brand back in the day. I mean, Jerry Lewis put it on the map. And it really needed to be, still needs to be reawakened as the brand that it was. 
And so I looked at the MDA and I was really felt like it was kind of custom built for me. Um, and it really is a 70 year old startup. Uh, again, I'll reflect back on your experience and Jim Weiss's experience in the agency business. We all know this. Um, every day is a startup in the agency business because you start up in <laughs> every day. And so um, that that's what appealed to me um, as an as a as an opportunity for me. Now, just to take the me out of that equation, uh, this is just one of the most fascinating um, areas of medicine and people that absolutely will blow your mind. These patients and families who have these conditions are the most resilient, the most optimistic people I've ever, ever engaged with in my life. And the doctors are out of this world, just unbelievable, um, giving, smart, um, empathetic. And so... You know, that gets you up every day. You know, the, the fact that maybe we could find cures for these conditions is pretty exciting. That's amazing. And I, I totally understand. And even just being on the board for a few weeks, I feel the same camaraderie of the community. And um, I think it is nice to be able to deep, dive deeply into a community to see all of the effect that they can have and all the progress that they've made. Um, thank you, Lynn, for, for sharing that additional information. I know that MDA works with a number of pharmaceutical companies um, as it relates to research and care. Can you tell us a little bit about those relationships? Yes, uh, you know, I joined a MDA, I think I said about uh, close to three years ago now. Having, you know, both of us know, having worked in the industry, that was kind of the first place to go in my mind. So Je uh, Jeannie Zucker joined the organization and we started a healthcare practice team um, and, you know, we work with the patient advocacy groups at the pharmaceutical industry um, pretty broadly. There are a number of companies, over 300 compounds in the pipeline, which is unbelievable. And some very amazing drugs that have come to market, Spinraza, Zolgesma. These are focused on SMA and are making a very big difference in, in the trajectory of these diseases. And you know, so our organization not only partners in advocacy, but we developed a medical education platform. Couldn't help myself, as you know, I was from phase five. Um, but really the MedEd has been enormous benefit for our patients and physicians. Uh, MDA did not have a strong medical education background. And so the pharmaceutical industry has been incredibly generous, um, helping us develop campaigns like um, teaching patients about genetic medicine, and how to evaluate their genetic testing. Um, and then in addition to that, Invitae did a big program with us this year and they're offering free genetic testing for all of our patients. So the healthcare practice team has really um, set up a, a wonderful way for all of us to work together, for, for pharma to really help the patients directly um, and to help us support care. And what we intend to do in addition to the big convention that we have you're going to see that in the pandemic pivot, many, many, many more virtual events. And it turns out those virtual events are just as successful, quite frankly, as some of the in-person. So um, pharma will be here to stay, and they are bringing amazing compounds to market that will transform the lives of these patients. Thank you, Lynn. I totally agree. Spending a lot of time in my uh, career working in partnership with all of those companies. You know, we couldn't do it without them. Um, and it's wonderful to see the partnership really making it happen for patients in the community. On to the next question. We talked about the pivot. 
COVID-19 has been so devastating for so many communities worldwide. And it's been a particular challenge for the MDA and the community we serve. We have been designated as an essential charity on the front line delivering care and critical education and resources. Can you talk a little bit about the unique situation we're facing? Absolutely. So we acted very quickly when COVID hit. Uh, we, we had to, I couldn't even call it a pivot at the time, but we realized very quickly that being an event-based organization where most of our revenue came from events, and one of our biggest funders, by the way, are the firefighters that do fill the boot and, that, and raise millions of dollars for us. Well, when the world shut down, it was obviously uh, clear to us that we couldn't actually keep our entire field um, organization at that moment. So we had to furlough fast. We had to really also look carefully at um, the services that we were providing because mission was absolutely first. And, and if there's anything that the entire organization, including the board, is 100% focused on is we must maintain our research position. We must continue to treat our patients in the clinics. And so it became pretty obvious um, to us that there really should be kind of a characterization of, of charities, those that are doing outstanding work. Um, and in addition to those that are doing outstanding work, there are some that are almost more essential in that we are on the front line and we have fixed mission assets in a sense. Because if we backed away from our clinics, 60,000 patients would suffer. And so that's where we pivoted from a communication standpoint pretty quickly. And as the pandemic you know, situation continues, um, it became pretty um, obvious when you looked at all the amazing generosity that was going on for COVID and how much money is being raised uh, for the front line, for the healthcare workers and all of that, close to, I think, $6 billion has been raised to date. I think what people didn't realize is the voluntary health organizations like an MDA, are actually on the front line too. Well, maybe the other front line, but that front line needs to be protected right now because if those dollars don't come to the larger voluntary health organizations, um, patient research will slow down and it already has. Uh, patient services could be severely impacted and that will eventually affect all of the people with chronic disease in America. What a lot of people don't understand is, you know, there's the government, there's corporations, and then there's voluntary health organizations that actually fill in the gap. So if there's a message that I'd love the community to think about is, you know, think about your voluntary health organization, think about MDA, think about American Heart, think about um, all of the American Diabetes, Juvenile Diabetes Foundation, they're all doing incredible work, and they're all sponsoring research that will in fact impact disease. And so let's think about how we can um, elevate that out there and drive more revenue to those organizations as we um, go through probably what is one of the most unbelievable situations that the world has ever seen. Absolutely, Lynn, and so many important points there. And, you know, um, it is so, you know, there are so many organizations right now that are in your situation or in our situation, apologies, um, and also, you know, um, it is all in, in how you define, right, essential and frontline. And um, in speaking with um, a person um, who has neuromuscular disease recently, you know, they talked about how for 
during the pandemic, it's been so challenging for everybody, but it's actually that much more challenging for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that that's the, the next question I have is, you know, the, the organization while trying to pivot also had to put the community of people with neuromuscular disease that we serve front and center during the pandemic and support and help them um, through that time. And can you talk a little bit about um, about how how we've done that, especially because many of them are more at risk uh, than other people during a pandemic like this? Absolutely. These um, the individuals that have neuromuscular disease and ALS um, are at the highest risk uh, when it comes to COVID nineteen because they typically these diseases affect your respiratory system and your heart. And getting COVID-19, getting a cold is dangerous. Getting COVID-19 is pretty devastating. And so we had to really mobilize very quickly to educate the community, to help them to really figure out what COVID-19 meant to them, how to stay protected in their house. Uh, we sponsored a number of Facebook Lives. We have an, an absolutely amazing uh, medical advisory board, uh, Barry Byrne and Matt Harms and John Day, and they participated actively in a lot of the education programs. Um, and in addition to that, you know, what's amazing about the pandemic is some things are getting done. What, is, what do some people say? Never let a crisis go to waste. Yes. You know, we, we all know that telemedicine has been around on the shelf for, what, 20 years? Overnight, telemedicine is here to stay. Absolutely. And so one of the big areas that we stepped in and our care team stepped in to right away was helping patients understand the, the value of telemedicine because they were a, a little nervous about it, and then actually helping the individual hospitals because they all had various uh, approaches to standardize their technique for telemedicine. So I would say in this pandemic, on the care side, we've actually seen more innovation in the what last, I don't know how many weeks, 10 weeks, than we probably saw in five years prior to that. Um, the other area that was, is quite frankly uh, frightening is about, I think, 15,000 patients are in clinical trials in our network. And people couldn't go to the clinical trial appointments, right? Yes. So again, we'll talk about taking it off the shelf. I can remember back in the day we invested at WPP in, in an e-trials platform way ahead of its time because we thought the whole pharmaceutical industry was going to do e-trials. No, that didn't happen. Well, now, can we possibly go back to a situation where patients have to come to every visit to get, the, to get checked for their clinical trials? Probably not. Uh, you know, we have some, some of our doctors saying now that they get more out of the telemedicine visits, uh, particularly with their ALS patients, than they do with a patient visit. And as, you know, as Matt Harms said last week, you know, you drive to Columbia, you park for $50, you come upstairs, you sit around, and you spend a couple of minutes, and that all could have been done far more efficiency, efficiently with telemedicine. So um, that's, a, a, you know, just one area. I, I'd say the other area that we are really excited about for our patients is the MDA Resource Center. So we've really digitized our approach. We've added Salesforce technology. And we really, each one of our care center coordinators can see multiple families at once. Before it was really more of a one-on-one, -on -one, one clinic to one care center coordinator, that model wasn't sustainable. We now have a better model. You know, I think that's pretty impressive for a nonprofit to be that innovative 
in that shorter period of time. And then, you know, hats off. I've just got an amazing team, an amazing team. That's also fascinating, Lynn. And it's funny, my next question was, how have you guys become more digital and tech enabled? And you really answered it all proactively and how you've helped the, the people with neuromuscular disease because mother is the necessity of invention. And whether it was the e-trials, which I love the story because I remember when everybody was trying to create the e-trials and telehealth. And I agree with you, all of a sudden, it's like now they're dusting it off and, and it's here to stay. And and we've even heard doctors talking about how they've really embraced it. They get to meet, sometimes they get to meet the patient and their families. They get exactly. to meet their environment. Yep. Um, and with the clinical trials, I think, you know, that's one where, where yes, the, the slowing down or halting of some trials probably has mm -hmm. not been the best situation. But I think ultimately we will be better for it mm -hmm. as we continue to embrace your okay. e-trials platform. And one other question, I'm very impressed with what you're doing with the Care Center Network. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, the, the Care Center Network has been around for, for many years and Kristen and the team have really been evolving the model um, over the last three years so that we, for the first time, really connect all the care center directors and meetings once, once or twice a year sharing best practices, sharing protocols. Again, this category of medicine is uh, relatively underdeveloped compared to some of the other ones we've worked in. And so one of the other areas that we looked at um, when we said, how can we actually achieve higher outcomes and get the community really connected in a way where that can happen is we decided to actually put together a data hub. And so we're working with IQVIA and we have about um, we're, we're reaching to get at least 50 care centers connected into the data hub. And right now, the way it works is we're tracking seven different diseases at the clinic uh, during the clinic period. And so we will ultimately have the ability to understand the natural history of disease, understand more of the patient data, the clinical data, and the genetic data all in one database. And this will be one of the largest real-world evidence databases. And we hope that that will actually be an, a database that will help to drive outcomes and better research. Um, and that's very much underway. I'm happy to say that even during the pandemic, we've been able to continue the data hub and adding more diseases to it. And um, it should be the way to achieving cures. And certainly I've modeled this a bit um, after Kathy Giusti, who you know, in the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. I was on that board for 14 years. And what Kathy did so brilliantly early in her days is we, she put together the consortium. And that really, by driving a data hub and data in one place, we had better understanding of the disease and cancer, as we will in, in muscular dystrophy, and we will achieve cures. That's amazing. Yes, following in those footsteps is a great idea, and there's so much to learn and, and so much potential with all of that data. Um, so you know what? I forgot to mention one big yes. area of innovation, just be, and uh, it's always the one that everyone loves to hear about, and that's summer camp. So MDA um, has been known for summer camp for, you know, decades. I think, uh, believe it or not, they kind of had the audacity to send kids to camp probably in the early 60s. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Crip Camp, but it's the same time frame. Yes. And, uh, so we were doing that back then. And it's really for children, 
um, an, an absolutely incredible experience because it's the only time kids with rare disease can actually meet other children like them. And so our children talk about the summer camp experience as the best experience of their lives. And this year, we had to say no camp. And so again, uh, we have a team of very traditional camp people. Uh, Jennifer Allaback comes from the Girl Scouts. We hired her last year. And she knows how to do great outdoor camps. Well, she and that team had to pivot pretty fast. We've developed one of the most novel virtual camps I think you'll ever see. Um, you know, just a couple of signature programs that I think um, are amazing. We are working with Christina Mallon, who's from Open Style. She is a woman who, in her 20s, got motor neuron disease and lost the ability to use her arms. And she has created a whole program uh, to help people make style their own clothes. And she's working with another woman from um, who's, who's a designer. And so we're going to have about 40 children uh, learning how to make clothes for themselves and, and, and have great style, maybe even a fashion show. So that's just an example. And then there are so many more. We're doing street art with Lonnie Larder. And so our job here um, and our mission is to bring joy into the families, bring joy to, 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 to these children. Um, and MDA Let's Play is another fantastic example. We have family game nights that are all digital, uh, building on the technology that's out there with the adaptive controller from Microsoft. And so uh, we're going to continue to innovate, and we hope that we can get back to outside camp. But I think the interesting thing here is a lot of the new things that have been invented aren't going to go away. It's just going to be that plus, you know, and that's, that's what's exciting. I agree. And uh, I think the camps are wonderful. I'm familiar with other other camps for children with different disabilities, like the diabetes groups do mm -hmm. camps. And mm -hmm. I've always thought that it was such a wonderful thing for, for children to get together and be with other people like themselves. And I've heard stories from other board members here at MDA about how impactful camp has been yes. on these children for their whole lives. And you know, I also know that uh, you guys have, have jumped on that and are very innovative about the programming this year, and it's going to be so exciting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, another timely uh, event, you know, in the last couple of weeks outside of our, our COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, has been all the attention on racial disparities in, in the world. Um, but most specifically during COVID-19, we also saw healthcare disparities as it related to uh, to the impact of the pandemic. And just curious, can you tell us more about muscular um, disorders in the minority communities um, and how else everybody can help um, in terms of education and programming there? Sure, you know, um, the disabilities and neuromuscular disease um, are, are an equal opportunity. Um, so many people from all different minorities have these diseases. Uh, the other issue with neuromuscular disease is a lot of these are genetic. And so families, whole families, whole generations will have CMT and they'll pass that on. And these diseases obviously limit your ability to move. Uh, they also limit your ability sometimes to, um, to work. And uh, one of our, our missions here, particularly when I go back to thinking about the open style and Christina and how remarkable she is, um, we've got to make sure that as our children are living longer, and they are, we've extended at least 10 years of life um, just through our care center program um, it, for kids with Duchenne and, and other diseases. 
um, we need to make sure that people want to employ them. And so uh, that's on our, our trajectory. But getting back to the, the core question, um, you know, our clinics are for people who are primarily on Medicaid. Um, you know, these are not, the, although we treat all patients, a disproportionate number of patients are in need of assistance. And that's one of the incredible things about Muscular Dystrophy Association. Back from the beginning, we provided services for people in need, and we still do. We're doing it in a more innovative way today, but that's our primary mission is to make sure that we can help to transform people's lives and help it e make it easier for them to live with these very difficult conditions. Thank you. Very helpful. You know, you've been such a positive force throughout all of this change um, in the last couple of months, and I know you, so I know you always are. Um, we talk in our organization, you know, about you know, staying the course and kind of using the information we have and looking at it and the best current view that we have today when you cannot predict what's coming next. Um, I know that your staff has appreciated your calm, grounded nature over the last, uh, last couple of months. Can you share any advice about um, leading through a period of enormous disruption like this? Sure. You know, I was talking to um, Kristen Stevenson the other day about this, and we were trying to, you know, understand why have we been so successful at getting things done so quickly? And it appears that our executive team um, are riveted by this crisis. You know, it's just some people, I think, sit back and wait and say, oh, my God, I've got to think this through. What am I going to do? And others just kind of just get into action. So we got into action early. Um, I would obviously say that's kind of my style as well. I've always said in my career, I'm not one of those people that measures twice and cuts once. So I always, always think action is better than inaction. Um, and I think in a crisis like this, it's all about taking action. You know, you need shots at goal. You gotta try different things. It's not all gonna work, but you've gotta punch above your weight. You've gotta say, hey, guess what? I'm still here. You know, getting a fortune article in the middle of this pandemic was, was, you know, credit to my communications team because they were reaching high and, and that story was a really powerful story for fortune and for MDA. And so, you know, as a leader, um, look at, I like, I'd like to think out of the box, as someone said the other day, this time you can't get back in the box. <laughs> so I don't even know if that expression is going to work anymore. Um, but, you know, I think leading through the pandemic is leading, um, hitting, you know, hitting the forehand on your toes, not on your heels. I'm a tennis player and it's just going for it every day, waking up in the morning and saying to yourself, okay, what else can we get done? Um, because idling is probably not the key, you know, in this situation. And then I, you know, an article the other day I was reading, I got to hand a little bit of it to luck. You never know when your guardian angel is going to show up, <laughs> you know, because you've actually picked the right, you've, you've made the right move. And there's a couple of big moves that are coming up here at MBA that I think are going to be really exciting. You know, we were known for the telethon. Um, the telethon really was what motored all those millions of dollars. You know, we've spent a billion dollars to date on research that came from all of that every Sunday or every Labor Day, Sunday on Labor Day. Families sat around and they looked at the television and they realized that people had hardship. And those people happened to be people with neuromuscular disease. And that united America in fundraising. Uh, Jerry Lewis, I would dare say, invented fundraising at scale. Yeah. MDA invented fundraising. 
along with UNICEF and a couple of others who I'll take the full credit and I'm not wasn't there so I'm not even taking credit for it but I think it's time for us to do that again it's time for us to get the country united getting back to what you just said Jen what a crazy what a horrible time how many things do we need to pull together and maybe this Labor Day we can really reflect on that with the right leader um, have some fun but also really support people who have hardship and um, that's a uh, a motivation for everybody on our team and I know you're motivated by it yes and um, that's the kind of legacy we all want to leave absolutely and it was such a it's such a wonderful legacy and there is a lot of excitement behind it and boy do we need a time to unite the country right now and get people yeah. rallied around an important uh, cause such as MDA um, and on that note Lynn before we close out um, you know you and I are in the business of storytelling right that's how we grew up in the business and there's always, you know, a number of, uh, I call them the why behind what we do. And mm -hmm. great if you could tell us um, about maybe one person you've met or one story from your work at MDA that's really just hit home for you and, you know, keeps you going and, and keeps everybody going, um, you know, towards the mission. Um, and then if you can just uh, mm -hmm. leave our listeners with some information about how they can get involved and support the MDA as well. Sure. Uh, you know, the stories are remarkable. <laughs> so there's so many. And we're also doing a storytelling platform this summer. So keep your eyes open because we're going to have 50 to 100 kids tell their story. Um, but I'll just tell one story of an individual who showed up uh, right after I got right after I started working here. Um, we had a, a dinner where we had some major donors and so we had some pharma folks there and and he stood up and he told his story. And um, here's a, a young man in his 30s who's a public defender in Brooklyn, uh, came from a family of athletes, was hit with limb girdle muscular dystrophy um, when he was in his probably around 12 or so. So his tennis game obviously was put on the shelf. And when someone asked him, you know, why are you, why are you a public defender? And he said, you know, um, my whole life, people did so much for me. MDA did so much for me. My parents did so much for me, my community. I felt it was time to give back. And I got to tell you, I was just blown away by this guy. Because here we wake up every morning with absolutely nothing to worry about. And he thinks he's got to give back. Um, you know, and I also say with Christina Mallon, I just think she said something the other day that just blew my mind. And that is, um, if you've got a problem, to solve, give it to someone who's disabled because they can hack anything. That's Think about it. They get up every day and they have to hack their life. How do you get out of bed? You know, so um, I have to say that uh, you're going to meet more of these wonderful families and kids and, and young adults, and you are going to be totally inspired. That's an amazing, amazing two stories. I love the hack. They're, they've learned how to hack their life. That's like such a great Great, um, and you can visualize it, right? Yes. Great way to yeah. put it. Yeah. So Lynn, tell us a little bit, um, where can people go for more information? How can people get involved in MDA? Sure, well, first of all, you can go to our website, mda.org. Um, you can look for our PSAs, they're on television right now, and they'll probably tell you to go to helpmda.org uh, or mda.org. Um, and if you're so inspired, you know, there's an opportunity to do a DIY fundraiser every single day. So, um, you know, that's the new way people fundraise is to come up with um, a reason to invite your friends and family to join you in a fundraiser. 
Uh, we're sponsoring things like this all the time. There'll be muscle walks, there'll be events, um, there possibly will be a telethon. And so, you know, just respond to us uh, and get engaged. Uh, we also have massive volunteer opportunities. You can volunteer at camp, you can volunteer to help us fundraise, uh, you can volunteer to educate some of our kids and develop new programs like some of the ones that I described. So, you know, we just invite everyone to join us in the mission and uh, we're, we're having a lot of fun and we're also hopefully making a big difference in patients' lives. And I just wanted to ask, add one more thing that I think we didn't really talk enough about. You know, Ma, um, we are just so grateful and so excited uh, about the number of pharmaceutical companies that are in this space right now. Um, they have been incredibly generous to MDA. Uh, they are with us every single step of the way. We had a huge convention and they, they had to be canceled this year and then we pivoted and it all went virtual. But the pharmaceutical industry for neuromuscular disease um, is, is making huge strides. We're, start, we're on the brinks of cures. And I also have to say, because I think you might relate to this as well, I'm just so proud of our industry in their response to COVID. I am so proud of the fact that we have these innovative scientists who are really going to make a difference and really going to help us get this under control. So that's my, uh, that's my hats off big time to the pharmaceutical industry. Thank you, Lynn. And I feel the same. I've never been prouder to be yeah. in our business. And um, I get a lot of questions amongst people I know, family and friends, you know, how are things going and are they going to save the planet? And, yeah. you know, it's been, been wonderful to see them step up for MDA and also wonderful to see them step up for the world. So it's been a, been a great time. Mm -hmm. um, well, thank you, Lynn. I'm, I'm so energized by the work uh, we're doing at MDA. I look forward to our partnership and in transforming the lives of people living with neuromuscular disease. There's so much more to be done. Um, and now I'll turn it back to Aaron to close out our discussion. Thank you. Well, Jen and Lynn, thank you so much for an inspiring conversation. And uh, Lynn, thank you for all you are doing and that the MDA is doing. And Jen, I'm very proud that we're going to have you as a board member to channel all of W2O into the MDA effort. So with that, I will sign off. This is Aaron Strout, the host of the What to Know podcast. And uh, thank you all for listening in. Thank you. Thank you. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.